All right, you ready for the word of the Lord today? All right. <clears throat> Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever felt like you could not go on one more day? Raise your hand. I don't know about the rest of you. You're either lying to me or whatever. If you've ever felt like I cannot go on one more day, oh my goodness, I've, I've felt that way many times. Well, there was a guy named John who felt that way. The economy back in about 2009 took that turn that it did, and John lost his job, and he didn't know what to do. He found himself looking everywhere for a job, and finally he went to the local zoo in a smaller town, and he said, do you have a job here? I'll, I'll do anything. I'll sweep. I'll clean cages. I will do absolutely anything. And he said, no, um, no, we really don't have any openings, don't have any job. Oh, except, except our gorilla just died. Would you be willing to put on a gorilla suit until we can get a real gorilla back in the zoo? And his response was, does it pay? And he said, I, I'm, I'm honestly that desperate. I, I would do anything. Well, sure enough, he did it and supported his family for a little while until the zoo got a gorilla. And he really got into this thing of, of you know, of being the gorilla and convincing everybody he was, he was the real deal. He would run up to the fence and shake the fence, and he would scare the little kids and make all the noises and doing everything he could to be a gorilla. Well, one day he got so excited about it, he was hopping around in the gorilla suit, and he jumped up and climbed up into a tree, and he kept climbing higher, and then all of a sudden he fell right into the lion pit. And so suddenly... This gorilla started to speak out in English and yell, get me out of here, get me out of here. And he was making all these noises and screaming for help. And finally the lion slowly made its way to him, came right on top of him, and he was right on the top of him and the, as the gorilla guy is screaming and yelling. And right about this time the lion gets right on top of him and he says, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> How many know things are not always as they appear? <laughs> well, you are looking at a fellow lion suit wearer right here. We can pretend to be brave. We can pretend to be religious. We can pretend to be holy. We can pretend all kinds of things. But sometimes we fall out of the trees and we find out who we really are, don't we? Let me just say this, it's, it is liberating when you take off the lion suit because uh, it's also hot in the lion suit when you try to be something that you're really not. Uh, is there an amen to that this morning? Many people call that hypocrisy when we're trying to put on different suits in different places and be something else than what we actually are. And yet the Bible is really clear about this in Romans 13 where it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be putting on. And when we become a Christian, we have one suit that we wear, and that is the Jesus suit. Hello. That means that when I go to work, I act like Jesus. That means that when I'm driving on the freeway in the traffic, hello, I act like Jesus. That means in my home, even when I'm frustrated, I feel the freedom to just kind of let it all go, I still act like Jesus. Amen? The problem is is when we have a closet full of different suits that we wear where we act one way at home and we act another way at church and we act another way at work. And yet the Bible tells us that when you become a Christian, 
you lose all that other clothing and you have only one suit in your closet and that is the Jesus suit. And we are to look like Christ in every day of our lives, every aspect of our lives, everything that we do, everything that we say, we are to be like him. Amen. But aren't we prone from time to time to dress up in those lion suits? It gets hot, it gets tiring, and it gets old trying to be something that you're not. I just want to say this. The longer that I've walked with Jesus, which has been a very long time now, and the older that I've become as a Christian, and the more I've had the privilege of observing true, what are to me, true spiritual giants in the faith, I've observed something about them. Uh, some often in the church you can find people who uh, sometimes their feet get a little bit off the ground. They get a little ethereal. They get a little, uh, I'm trying to avoid the word spooky. They get a little spooky. And that can happen. But my experience is this. True giants in the faith, and I have been privileged to know and have meals with and sit with and be in the presence of some incredible, incredible giants of the faith. The more they are grown into, in God, they don't become weird, they become more real. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where we see a man truly take off the lion suit this morning and show us that he's a real man. And in this passage, we see a very strange request from a very godly man. It's in Numbers chapter 11, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there. It's, it's in Numbers chapter 11 where we see that which is in the form of a prayer from a man that we know. But it's a very strange prayer and a very strange request, and his name is Moses. In this prayer, we see him taking off the lion's suit when he prays this prayer to God. This is his prayer. God... Please kill me. Just kill me. It's a very real, very vulnerable moment of a man who's essentially saying, I can't go on any longer. I'm done. I am done. I am so done. I have reached my end. And haven't we all been at that place a time or two in our lives? It was the psalmist David who also hit that wall in Psalm 107. Uh, he had a different phrase for talking about the same thing, David's phrase for this moment in life is what he calls coming to his wit's end. And we've used that phrase from time to time. Psalm 107, they mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. And here he's basically speaking of the roller coaster of life. He's not speaking of life in circles, he's speaking of the ups and downs and the roller coaster of life, up to the heavens, down to the depths. Verse 27, he says, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and they are at their wit's end. Moses said, kill me. David said, I'm at my wit's end. And when you think about these men and who it is that's praying these kinds of prayers, these are men who have walked with God and have served as an example to all of us for thousands of years and are, are still speaking to us today. Look at Moses. This man who is in this condition as he's just prayed this very, uh, very passionate prayer to God, this man has just led three million people out of slavery and out of Egypt. And yet Moses finds himself feeling like he just can't go on any longer. And listen to how the Bible describes Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. I'm in Deuteronomy 34. You don't have to turn. Let me just read it to you. There's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, 
And then in Exodus 33, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Think of this, Bethesda. A man who would talk to God face to face like a friend and a friend that he knew intimately. That same man in his human frailty and in his, uh, in his vulnerability, in his moment of being real, he would come to the moment of saying, I just can't go on another day. Let me say it again. Things are not always as they appear. They're just not. A friend of God wanting his friend to end his life. It's Moses taking off the lion's suit and saying, okay, i got to be real with you. This is really who I am. I may be well-known to other people. I may be seen as a leader. I may be whatever. But this is really who I am before God, he says this. And we all reach that moment, including pastors. We're real men. We are real women on our staff, sometimes fearful, sometimes scared, sometimes insecure, sometimes wondering what tomorrow will look like. Yep. And in the midst of those very real feelings, any one of us can experience that one little bump of life and we see what really comes out of us. We all can have that vulnerable moment where our reality is made known, is made manifest. It could be come expre- expressed in all kinds of ways. It could be through arrogance or pride or insecurity. It happens to all of us. And always remember that you can work hard at hiding whatever is inside of you, but let it get bumped one time, and what's inside will come out. How many know I'm telling you the truth this morning? You can have this bottle of water right here. It looks great. Everything looks fine until somehow somebody comes along and bumps my elbow, and what's inside will come out. There's anger in there. Trust me, someone's going to bump you, and it's going to come out. If you ask Moses, how did this statement, how did this prayer that you pray, how, how did that come out of you? A man who is a friend of God, who's been with him face to face, because everything up to this point seems to have really gone well for you, Moses. And do you know what brought this dramatic prayer, this statement out of Moses according to Numbers chapter 11? Church people brought it out of him. Seriously, church people brought him to the point of saying, God, just kill me. (laughs) They were complaining, they were ungrateful, and he just couldn't take it anymore. In Numbers 11, we see what the complaint is of the people. Their complaint is not that they don't have enough food, Their complaint is that they don't have enough variety of food in their choices. Doesn't that sound like today's culture? How many channels do you have on your cable? What, a thousand? And yet you still can't find anything you want to watch? You're tired of all those, aren't we? Isn't that the way it is? And the children of Israel are saying, "The, the miracle food that God's providing, it's not enough. We want more variety. Maybe we want gluten free or low carb or or paleo diet, whatever that is. Paleo diet manna. That's what we want. But not the same thing day after day after day after day. Well, here's what they said to Moses in Numbers chapter 11, starting about verse 5. 
We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic for all the Italians that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. And isn't it interesting how selective our memories can be when we think about the good old days? They're remembering all they had for free, is what they're saying. And kind of, I don't know about you, but it makes me kind of want to say, let me help you jog your memory here just a little bit. You did not in Egypt eat at a table with waiters and fine china and tablecloths. No, you ate that food in chains. Selah. You ate that food with 400 years of slavery, with people telling you every day, every hour what you were supposed to do. You did not eat free food. You just forgot what your lifestyle was. And when people start employing selective memory, every once in a while, even in the church, we need God to jog our memory and say, you know what? It may be hard being a Christian today, and you may feel some degree of persecution. We don't know what that is in this country, but you may feel some degree of persecution. But do you remember what it used to be like when you weren't a Christian? Maybe you've forgotten what it was like to be in chains of bondage to every addiction, every lustful thought, and everything else the enemy was throwing. Have you forgotten what it was to be in those chains? And then in verse 10, we see the selfish whining of the people. It was ungrateful whining. And maybe you and I have been in that place where the miracle God gave us it was just not enough. We would prefer a bigger variety of miracles in our life. Makes me think of the words of G.K. Chesterton, the great Christian writer from the, United, from the United Kingdom from decades ago. He said this, Either I will take things for granted or I will take things with gratitude. I will either take it for granted or I will take it with gratitude. And so many times we just take things for granted as if they're just normal, don't we, church? And the famed poet George Herbert said it like this, Thou hast given me so much, but give me one thing more. Give me a grateful heart. How many of you this morning say, I want to live with a grateful heart? Come on, let me see your hand. So look at the complaint of the people. And what happened to Moses when he got bumped and the lion suit comes ripping off and he just can't take anymore? Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why, why have you afflicted your servant and why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get the meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, God, please kill me here and now. At least he said please, right? Please kill me here and now. 
if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. It's a man who's at his wit's end. But what is absolutely fascinating to me is God's response to the request of Moses. His request is, God, kill me. And God's response is incredible. And herein lies my message to you today. Numbers chapter 11, verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, now, now stay with me here. He's just said, God, kill me. Imagine that conversation going on. And here's his response. The Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down, and I'm going to talk with you there. I will take of the Spirit that is upon you, and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. Bethesda, listen to me closely for the next few minutes. This just shows us how amazing our God is. I hope when, if you let me unpack this to you for just a minute this morning, what it will evoke within your heart is a true sense of gratitude for how great is our God. God takes the wrong request and answers it with his response to the should-have-been request. Let me say that again. God takes what is a wrong request from Moses and appears to ignore it, but gives the answer for the request Moses should have made. Look at it. Moses prays, kill me. God's answer, I'm going to give you 70 men. Seems completely disconnected. Seems almost as if God is insensitive to the condition of this man and, and where he's really at emotionally. And this is God saying to Moses, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. Pastor Des used to do this. I'm not going to give you what you want, the request you made. I'm going to give you what you need. And I don't know about you, but I thank God that he has not always answered me with everything I think I want. Anybody else in the house? Because if God would have given us what we wanted, most of us guys would be married to our third grade school teacher. Am I telling the truth? Mine was Mrs. Shryock. I thought she was just beautiful. Lovely lady. But our amazing God knows how to respond by saying, bless your heart. When he speaks Texan. Bless your heart. Here's what you actually need. Tozer said it this way. Nobody ever got anything from God on the grounds that he deserved it. If God answers your prayer, it's because God is good, not because you are good. And because God is good, he says, no, I'm not going to kill you. 
Rather, I'm going to give you what you need so that you can continue on. Now keep this in mind, church. God knows what you and I need better than we know what we need. I mean really. He knows what we need better than we know what we need. I ran across this little blurb in a um, book called The Civil War Soldier's Prayer near the end of the Civil War. It says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked him for health that I might do greater things. But he gave me infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. But he gave me weakness that I might feel my need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but I got everything I hoped for. That is God saying to us that he knows what we need better than we know what we need. Now, there are those rare occasions where what I think I need matches what God thinks, but it does not happen all the time in my life. It may in yours, but it does not in mine. Moses thought he needed death, and God knew that he just needed some really good people around him. For the absence of good men around you can bring a leader even to, the, to thoughts of suicide, wanting to end his life. We've seen examples of that in our country in the last few weeks but the presence of the right people can add years to your life. Right men, you get more life. Wrong men, you want to end your life. Let me say that again. You get the right people in your life, it extends your life. You get the wrong people in your life, and you want to kill you and them at the same time. Let me put it this way. The wrong people make him want to die, but the right people will make him want to to live. And let me just say this for whoever I'm talking to this morning. If there is a great place to add right people to your life, I know of no greater place than right here in this sanctuary this morning. This is a wonderful fellowship of people in spite of its pastor. A wonderful fellowship of people. But let me tell you what won't do it. Just being real with you here for a moment. You're not going to add the right people to your life Simply at that moment when we come to the end of worship and Pastor Brent says, why don't you turn and greet two or three people and you go, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Yes, now we're close and have a great deep relationship. God bless you, God bless you. And you sit down. It doesn't happen that way. That's not the way it works. And when you bolt out of here, some of you before the service has even ended, you're thinking you're going to make life easier for you by getting first to the parking lot and getting out and getting to being the first in line at Luby's or wherever you're going, but you are missing important relationships that can extend your life here today. I'm talking about refreshing relationships that add life to yours. Are you still awake out there? Let me encourage you, those of you who are bolters, let me ex- encourage you, just pause Just pause for just five or ten minutes and just maybe you'll find some traction in a friendship or relationship. I'm not saying you're going to find your husband or your wife necessarily. I'm not going there. That's not the conversation. 
But what better place to find Christian relationships where you can really have true koinonia with someone, but it takes you taking the effort to put it on pause for five minutes to try to get acquainted with somebody. In the case of Moses, when God gave him 70 people, it added 40 years to his life. And if he doesn't have the right people, he wants to die. I cannot express strongly enough my overwhelming gratitude for the people that I have in my life. I am so blessed. I'm a blessed man. I have wonderful friends, many of them even out of state, who I know I can call at any time. One of them from Florida is flying through DFW this week just so that he and I can have lunch on Friday. And I'm blessed to have a friend like that. I'm blessed to have the church board we have here at Bethesda, men and women who serve tirelessly and give of themselves lavishly for the sake of this fellowship. You are blessed, church, to have a board like we have. You've elected them and put them in place. I'm a blessed man to be a part of a fabulous fellowship called Bethesda. Becky and I have lived the whole of our adult lives with you, and we are so happy that God called us back in 1943 to this place. I'm a blessed man to have such an incredible staff of pastors who serve alongside and do incredible work in this house. Can you say amen to that? I'm a blessed man to have such a wonderful family, a stunningly beautiful wife that I don't deserve. And quit telling me I'm married up. Everybody tells me that all the time, okay? Two great kids who I'm proud of, two fabulous in-law kids who are simply the best anyone could ask for, and the most beautiful granddaughter in the world. I'm a blessed man. I will stop this someday, okay? I don't know when, but it's not today. I will stop it someday. Okay, you can take it down. How many of you are blessed people? We all need good people in our lives. People who will be honest with you. People who will tell you the truth and will do it in love. People that you will listen to. And that when they speak to you and, and say something, and even if it's something that is, has a little corrective thing to it, you go, you know what, I trust them because I know they're a good person and they have my best interest in mind. We all need that. Please get this morning, get this this morning. Moses wanted to die. God said, no, you just need the right people in your life. Because here's the thing that I think is such a, a misunderstanding in our country today about coming to church and what the gathering of the people of God is. It has so much more impact than some people know. Coming to church is not just about, okay, I sit here, I sing the songs off the screen, I listen to the choir, Smith preaches, he spits on the first three rows, and then we bolt out of here. The gathering of the people of God is so much more than that. God brings us together so that we can find strength in godly people who are walking in the same direction that you are. And the challenge is when we bolt for the door instead of just pausing for just a minute and we, we don't have the opportunity to find someone to connect with. And it's very simple. For, forgive me for being this simple with you. Take two or three minutes and ask them, what is your name? That's not hard. Where are you from? Have you been in Texas very long? How long have you been coming to Bethesda? You always sit over here. All those, find out something about them. And who knows what God could do even today if you took that kind of effort. You could walk out of here this very morning with some great new people in your life. And some people might be saying, well, Pastor, that doesn't sound very holy to me. Shouldn't you be preaching on something else? Listen, you can be holy and die fast. Or you can have some really good people in your life and have an extended life. 
Here's the second thing I gleaned from this, and I'll wrap this up pretty soon. second thing I gleaned from our text this morning. I think God answers our prayers, but we are not always alert to how he answers them. I believe God is answering our prayers much more often than we are aware of. He's just not answering it in the way that we asked it. Instead of answering your request to die, he's doing something much better for you. You just don't recognize it. Instead of giving you what you think you want, he's giving you what you truly need. And the sad part of it is, too often we are missing the very answer that God is providing because it did not come to us packaged in the way of the way that we requested it. You've heard me give this illustration before, but I want to give it to you again. It's just just too perfect for this. The story of an 80-year-old woman who received a call from her adult daughter. The daughter was sick, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't go to the drugstore and get her medication, so her mother, her 80-year-old mother, went to get it for her. Upon leaving the pharmacy, the mother returned to her car to discover that she had locked her keys in her car just after she had put the medication in the car. So this older mother starts panicking. She doesn't know what to do until she found an old rusty coat hanger. How many know that's how we used to unlock cars back in the good old days? We don't do click, click. We didn't do click, click, click back then. This, this button you had to reach in and pull. Anybody remember the days of the button on the lock? Okay, she started poking the, the, the um, coat hanger in there, saying to herself, I don't even know what I'm doing or, or how to do this at all. And finally, she just bowed her head in desperation. She cried out, God, I need help. And she said that within five minutes, a man pulls up in an old beat-up motorcycle. He's a bearded man wearing an old biker skull cap. This man got off his motorcycle and he asked if he could help her. As he's looking at this 80-year-old woman with a coat hanger and no clue what she's doing, uh, she, she said, yes, my daughter is sick and I've locked my keys in the car and, I, and the prescri prescription's in there and I've really got to get it to her. Can you take this hanger and unlock my car door? He said, sure, ma'am. He walks over to the car and in less than 15 seconds he has that car door open. Well, she hugged him and just couldn't thank him enough and through her tears she says, thank you so much. You are such a nice man to help me. He said, lady, I'm not a nice man. I just got out of prison yesterday, and I was in for car theft. That's what I was in for. <laughs> and when she said that, when he said that to her, she started clapping her hands and saying, oh, the Lord does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He did so much more. He not only sent me help, he sent me a professional. Sometimes, church, God answers in ways we would not expect. Have you ever noticed most of our prayer requests are telling God how we want Him to answer us? Then that sets us up. It's a setup for us when we do that because then we get upset when He doesn't do what we want the way we want it even though he's doing what he's supposed to do as God. Moses, kill me! God goes, you get 70 men. What? Did you even hear me? But that's not what he requested. In church, there are things that you and I have requested that you think God has not answered but he has done the right thing according to what you didn't ask, but what you should have asked. 
That's good preaching, Dan. They don't like it, but it's good preaching. <laughs> Let me tell you what. When God takes your prayer request and runs it through some sort of a sanctification <laughs> as it reaches the throne of heaven and said, what they really meant was this. And because if I do what they've asked for, hmm, that's not a good idea. But I'm going to give them what they need. And at the end of that line of thinking, here's what you come to. That is because we serve a good God. So what does this, all this say to us this morning? It says this is how you and I should be praying. God, this is what I'm asking for. But since you're my loving Father who truly knows what's best, I'm asking you to answer this in the best way that you see fit for my life. Here's my request. Here's the way I would like to have it. But it, here we say it this way. Not my will, but thine be done. And I would just say to you this morning, to those of you who, for whatever reason, find yourself angry with God, that he's not answered your request the way you ask it in the timing or whatever else, that he didn't do what you ask him to do, can I just encourage you this morning to consider that he may have already answered you, but in a way that you did not look for and expect, therefore you haven't seen it yet, but the answer may well be there. The contrast of this chapter is this. Things go really bad for me when God lets me be God in my life. That, does, that never works out. When I'm the one making the decisions, when I'm the one really trying to be in charge, it, that, that never goes well. Be careful of thinking that you know better than God. And sometimes, be careful of thinking that you know better than God. I want this job, God. I prayed for this job, but you didn't give it to me. You really don't know, what you really don't realize is what God held you or kept you from by not giving you what you thought you wanted. I wanted that man, she said. I wanted to marry him, and then God moved him away. He moved him out of DFW, and that was the man she wanted. God goes, sweetie, you have no idea what that lazy good for uh, <laughs> you don't know what you're about to walk into I would even propose this that when we are in charge of our own requests and we don't submit it humbly before the Lord with a not my will but thine be done that when we when we're in charge we may be scripting our own demise and not knowing it He's not a theologian, he's a country singer, but I think Garth Brooks got it right when he wrote, just because God doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of his greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. God answers us, church, like a loving father, not like a genie in a bottle. Sometimes we've treated him as a genie in the bottle. Those of you who remember I Dream of Jeannie years ago. We've treated him as that rather than understanding he is responding to us as a loving father. Never forget, if you've declared Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, then you're not in charge. He's in charge, and he sees the much higher 
picture because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And by the way, if you have not declared Jesus as Lord of your life, what on earth are you waiting for? You need to come to know Jesus today. How does that start? Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Bethesda says. That's not what denomination says. That's what Jesus said. And if you're here this morning, you may be saying, I don't really need to be born again. I just need to fix a few things for me. No, what you're saying is, I'd rather be God than allow him to be God in my life. This morning, God is not particularly interested in just fixing your life. He's interested in transforming your life. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? No one else leaving the room, please, for just a moment. Bow your heads in prayer. So how does that happen, Pastor Dan? I've just walked into church here today. Somebody invited me. I drove by. And I, uh, I realized that I think the time has come that I really do need to be born again. How does that happen? Well, it's as simple, friend, as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For you to admit that you're a sinner puts you in the same category as everybody else in this room today. We've all reached the point of recognizing our need of a Savior. That's A. B. Simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And he took your place. He paid a debt that you owed. You owed a debt you could not pay. And that's Christ has done that for you. He paid the penalty for your sin when he was nailed to the cross to become your Savior. And C, confess him as Lord today. Admit, believe, and confess. How do you do that? Will you pray a simple prayer with me right now whereby you give your life to Christ? When you're doing that, you're saying, I want you to be the boss, Lord, of my life. I want you to be the one who's in charge. And I'm just asking, is there anybody here in the house today who's ready to make that decision? Who can I pray with today? If that's you, maybe you're saying, Pastor Dan, I've been considering this for a long time. Something I know I need to do. I want my life right with Christ. Will you just raise your hand very quickly if that's you so I get a chance to pray with you? All right, on the balcony, I see that. Anybody else? I see back here. Oh, I see right there. Anybody else? Okay, those of you raise your hand, I'm going to want you to stay where you're at, but I want you to just stand so I want you to pray something with me. I saw you. Raise your hand. Just stand right where you're at. You're not going to come down. You're just going to stand. In the balcony, I saw you over here. Yep, back over here, here. All right. I want you to pray this prayer with everybody. Pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I stand before you this morning admitting that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me and bore my sins on the cross. And I thank you for paying for my sins. And so today, I'm declaring that you, Jesus, are the Lord and Savior of my life. From this moment forward, you will be in charge of my life. You're the boss, and I will follow where you lead. I am yours to command wherever you may lead me. And I publicly proclaim in this house today that Jesus Christ is Lord.
to the glory of the Father. And I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus who has saved me. Amen.